0: Hear the word of the Lord. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming, and so many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah. Well, the papers are abuzz with the failures of Hollywood this summer in producing a blockbuster smash. In fact, Hollywood is poised to lose about $300 million in some movies that they put out that have been, frankly, bombs. Lone Ranger. Anybody seen The Lone Ranger? A White House uh, Down, or What was that movie? Total flop. Movies aren't producing. But there is one show that seems to be really hitting people's inner core. It was a made-for-TV movie called Sharknado. Anybody seen Sharknado? Yes, here's the story. It's compelling. Los Angeles gets flooded, and for some reason, these, uh, these tornadoes begin and suck up large sharks and bring them over to Los Angeles and deposit them, uh, and people are doing battle with sharks in Los Angeles. I mean, I, I start to weep when I think about it. I do, too. There's, there's anger, there's love. And, you know, Sharknado, fantastic. You know, there. Are, I remember uh, horror movies. You know, I don't know uh, if you've ever watched horror movies, but when I was growing up in high school, you know, the, uh, the Freddy Krueger and the Nightmare, I didn't know anything better, you know, and so I watched these things. In fact, the first horror movie I ever saw was Salem's Lot. Anyone remember that? I was seven years old. It was my babysitter who came over and promptly turned on the tube to Salem's Lot. I'm still paying for therapy and I'm the Salem's Lot, okay? And how about this one? Remember Jaws? Okay, yeah, I saw that maybe when I was 11 or 12. Wow, that was, that was pretty scary, wasn't it? There was only one problem, and that's that I slept on a waterbed. <laughs> so that night, as I was floating along, There was I in the midst of the story. You know, we hear this uh, sermon of passage about the Antichrist, and we're tempted to think about a blockbuster movie with a a great demon or something out there. You know, these are the kind of things that you make blockbuster horror movies about. And yet we see from this passage that what John is saying about the Antichrist is very different than what we think. In fact, there's not one, but there's many. And there's not one great spiritual creature in the sky. They're ordinary people. People like you and me that deny Jesus. How do we know who these antichrists are? How do we know if we are one? This is the question we're going to examine as we look at this passage. But it might be uh, possible that you're saying to yourself, so what? What difference does it make? See, we see in this passage that Jesus has the audacity to divide the entire world into two different sections. Those who affirm Christ, Christians, and those who deny Him, antichrists. In this passage, my goal is to help reveal to you who you are. Do I know that I'm on the side of truth? Do I know that I am a Christian? Or in reality, am I living a lie? And so I'm going to give you a test for the next three hours that I'm speaking. We're going to look at three particular things. Number one, the relationship test. See, this passage gives us tests to know who we are. Number one, the relationship test. Second, the spiritual test. And number three, the perseverance test. So if you're able to pass all these tests, good for you. You're in the right place. If you're not... It's time to seriously examine my life. And where am I going? So let's break down this passage here. First part, it says, Children, it is the last hour. Now we have to ask ourselves, it's been 2,000 plus years. How can this be the last hour? It doesn't make a lot of sense. But if we look at the totality of Scripture, we understand that these last days, this last hour is referring more than to a physical hour, it's referring to a time in history. Time that's led up to now and through now, and when it ends, we don't know. I remember when I was younger watching the space shuttle getting ready to take off. You know, what they would do is they would start the countdown, right? T minus, and they'd start like 24 hours out. T minus 23 hours in counting, and slow, so it would go down and down and down. Now, they might have warned the launch if something was wrong. But you see, that's what God is talking about with the last hour. The clock has been started. It's T minus, I don't know how much is left. But I do know that when He's talking about the last hour, He's talking about being aware. The clock is counting. We know that the clock is counting and moving down because the passage says... Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. So we see that the Antichrist is coming, and that's a signal that we're in this last hour time. Now, we've heard stories about this Antichrist who's coming, this one person possibly, who will come and deceive the the world and be larger than life. Uh, Maybe, for instance, in Daniel... That there would be one raised up who would imitate himself as looking like Christ, but lead people astray. But he says that many have come. That's actually in the perfect tense. It means that people have come and continue to come who deny Christ. 2 John 7 puts it this way. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver. The Antichrist. And in the book of Acts, Paul says, even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. See, in the Bible, often the wolf comes from within the flock. So we see that Antichrist, what he's referring to, is anything that sets itself in the place of the Christ of the Bible. For to die, deny Jesus Christ is to worship something else. Now how do these people know that John is writing to you that it is the last hour? It's because they left. They, these people. It says this, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be complained that we, they all, are not of us. Remember, I said this was a relationship test, didn't I? Why did these people go out? Why did they leave the fellowship? Probably was a church just like ours, with people maybe occupying a row right there or there. I'm not pointing the finger at anyone by the way. All of you are pointing the finger at me. Just kidding. Relax. Okay. Here's the point. John is writing this letter because the people who have lost people in their church have been stirred up. They're one what we believe isn't true. They've been influenced by the people from within the church. You know, it's those who are closest to us that can lead us astray, isn't it? Well, what were these people saying who have gone out? We see in 1 John 2 9, whoever says that he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. See, these people don't, they say they're in the light, but they didn't have love for one another. In fact, there was hatred. They came in and there was like poison in the system. They they didn't see the importance of love. 1 John 3.10, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. These particular people not only didn't love one another, they didn't love God's way. They didn't practice righteousness. Frankly, they looked like the world around them. God's word didn't strike at their heart. Further, they didn't believe that Jesus Christ's death on the cross was sufficient atonement for their sins. We see John in the last part of this verse, uh, excuse me, of this book saying, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because where the Spirit is, there is truth. See, uh, what uh, John is saying here is that there is one who has come, physically. This picture of the water and the blood is the picture of Christ in his side, remember, with the blood and the water pouring out. See, these people were saying Jesus is a myth, he's something out there, it really wasn't a person on the cross. You know, it's interesting when we look at these things, isn't it, because it sounds very much like a lot of churches today. So we see that these people were not part of the fellowship because they didn't believe the things that they did. They were preaching a different Christ who was shaped their image. They were preaching that Christ plus something equals satisfaction. But we see the truth that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And so in the relationship test we see that to believe is to belong. These people who had a different values Different vision and a different God didn't belong. It was like oil and water. They never mixed. See, we often think about our relationship with God and we think it from purely vertical terms. You ever heard this? You know, my religion is a private affair between me and God. You can't tell me what to say. But something is pretty neat about Christians. We seem to want to glom together. Like those little metal shavings, you know, we're all attracted to the same thing. There's a unity among the body. There's a horizontal aspect to our uh, faith with God. And so there is the relational test that these people have failed. And their life is shown in. I remember when I, because they weren't part of things, I remember when I moved to uh, Northern Virginia. I was 12 years old and I came from Dallas, Texas. And this was right at the height of the Dallas uh, Cowboys-Washington Redskins rivalry. Okay, remember that and the hogs and the fun bunch and all those crazy things that the Redskins did? Well, they were hog wild, no pun intended. And here was I coming from Dallas. I tried to keep my identity quiet. And yet somehow it leaked out. And the beatings began. (laughs) I was the Dallas boy. I didn't mix with the Redskins boys. Now, truth be told, I went ahead and showed my cards a little bit, you know, because we were Americans team. Let's be honest, you know. <laughs> Texas Stadium, why is there a hole in Texas Stadium? So God can watch the Cowboys. And so I got to get, you know, but if we went to a game to watch a game together, me and my friends, it would have become evident after a while who I was, wouldn't it? When my team would score, I couldn't help it. I'd be jumping up and down. And when the Redskins would score, I would be booing and hissing. See, at the end of the day, oil and water don't mix. The relational test of who we are is shown in how we love. Do we come together? Or are we the divided ones? Are we the ones that are preaching a gospel? And so I ask you the question, It's the last hour. T minus something. What's your T minus? T minus X until I get that new job. T minus X until my relationship with my spouse improves. And certainly we wait and we hope for the things of this world. But what the Apostle John is saying is, this is the last hour before the Christ comes. And so all of our life must be framed around this question, who are you? Look at your life. Are you part of the fellowship? Are you living in the way that the people of God would live? Or is it a shame? Because to believe is to belong. Do you? Well, this brings us to the second test. Not the relational test, but now the spiritual test. You see, John has been talking about these people who have gone out. But now he talks about the people, just like you, who are in the congregation. 1 John 2.20, notice, But you have been anointed in the, by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. You're different. You've been anointed. You have all knowledge and truth. You know, it's interesting, George on the pollster, says 60% of those who identify them, as evangelicals, do not believe there is an absolute truth. And yet we're seeing that you have been anointed and you have all knowledge. But what is this word anointed? You need to understand that. Anointed, if you remember the Old Testament, when it was time to claim a king, God would talk to one of the prophets and would say, go and anoint this person as to indicate that this is the one I recognize and choose to be king. And so lo and behold, the prophet would go and get on this donkey or whatever, and he'd go there, and he'd pull out a flask of oil. And he would anoint him on the head. Literally, the word anoint in Hebrew is Mashiach, the smeared one, from where we get the word Messiah. See, Jesus was the anointed one, the Messiah. But we see here, and by the way, it's so interesting when God would come through the prophet to anoint someone, they were never looking for it. David's going about his merry way. Remember Saul's going about his merry way. And yet God says, I have chosen you. And that's what we see here. Because John the Apostle is saying, but you have been chosen by the Holy One. And you have all knowledge. See, true believers have not been simply a philosophical change. They've been transformed by the Holy Spirit. They've been chosen. Now who have they been chosen with? Look at this passage, 2.20. You have been anointed by the Holy One. Who is this Holy One? It's interesting when Jesus would walk around and He'd come and He'd uh, go heal and, and expel these demons, they would always say, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And in John 6, after feeding the 5,000 and many left, Jesus turned to the disciples and said, You do not want to leave too, do you? And there was Peter that says, Where else can we go? You have the words of life. You are the Holy One. Mm-hmm. See, what's amazing is that we have not been anointed by prophets, but by Jesus himself, who has come to us, even when we're not expecting him, and said, I choose. I've anointed you I've been anointed by the Holy One and you and I who are believers have been anointed with the Holy Spirit 2 Corinthians one twenty one says this now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ He anointed us set His seal of ownership on us and put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come See, this anointing is more than simple oil. It's the presence of God Himself and the Holy Spirit. It's God saying, I want to take up residence in your life. I, the Holy One, have made you holy. The word holy being set apart. And so God has set His seal of ownership on us. And He's put His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee of what is to come. The point is, the true believers cannot fall away from the faith, but false believers always, uh, always do. See, something's happened. We've had a new introduction into our system, if you will. It's interesting, you know, DNA, and they're doing all this genetic engineering where they're trying to combine foreign things into the system. We have been transformed by the presence of God himself who is in us given to us by the Holy One, so that we can have all knowledge. Look at 1 John 2, 27. As for you, the anointing you receive from Him remains in you, it's there to stay, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real and confident counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in Him. See, with Christ coming into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, we have the blueprint of the truth. These people who have come along and said, Jesus is not the Lord. You don't have to love one another. You don't have to be righteous. Are incompatible with who we are. We have all knowledge. Now, there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom, isn't there? See, he's talking about wisdom, knowledge... Science and physics and chemistry. We don't have all knowledge. At least I don't. Didn't do too well in in, uh, economics, by the way. Still kind of burns me. Stay focused. Stay focused. (laughs) Okay, we don't have all knowledge, but we do have all wisdom. We know the truth. And as they say, as he says in the scripture, the truth will set us free. Do you know how many people Do you know how many people have settled for a lie because they never could find it? But this anointing shows us the truth in our hearts and teaches us the truth. It helps us to discern error. And so we have a truth detector in our hearts. 1 John two twenty one. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Truth is Jesus is Lord, and He's in our hearts. These other people who are lying, who are they lying to? They're lying to the church. They're lying to the world, and finally, they're lying to themselves. We are looking for the truth in this world, and we have received the truth through the Holy Spirit. But just like in this situation, there are shouts all around us, aren't there? voice is coming to you and saying this is the way to live. You're throwing away your life following this person that you've never seen. You won't find joy and happiness in being with these people, in loving God and in following Him. But the truth does not come from the outside, my friends. The truth comes from the inside. All I'm doing as a pastor in my job is to remind you of what you know. But if you have not received the anointing, you can't understand truth. Remember as a 16-year-old, I was at my girlfriend's house and she she showed me a Bible. It was like complete gibberish. Didn't understand it whatsoever because I did not have the one who could translate it into me. But as for you, believer, you have received the anointing of the Holy Spirit and you know the truth. See, at the end of the day, when you strip everything away, there's only one fundamental question that we have to ask ourselves. Do I know the truth, what life is, and who I am? We can't see, save for the anointing of Christ, who makes the scales fall from our eyes, and us able to see for the first time that Jesus is everything, that Jesus was nothing Equals everything. I remember when I was 18 years old, my friends had come back uh, from a Young Life camp. And they came back and they were very different people. Can't, couldn't quite figure out what got into them. Started talking different. Started living different. I was a little bit upset. You know, it was like I lost my friends. And so they kept on hitting me, you know, hey, let's go to Young Life, blah, blah, blah. I didn't want to go to Young Life. I was kind of a campus atheist, truth be told. And, uh, but they finally got me to go to uh, a Bible study called Campaigners, and the only reason I went to it was that my soccer coach was teaching, and I liked him. It was at my friend's house, so I went. And when I showed up and he started reading the scriptures, in fact he was talking about prophecies, something started to happen to me. I did the typical bit and started to ask as many questions as I could. You know, someone's asking a lot of questions. Usually, a good sign, because they're trying to, you know, keep moving. God was working in my heart. I stayed there the first time. In fact, at the end, he says, "Carlos, if if you were dying to die today, how would you know that you would be in heaven?" So that's simple, because Jesus died for my sins. I had no idea what that meant. I just knew it was the right answer. And as I contemplated this question, who am I, I realized that there was something to this message. And so I went back a second time. They do this thing, I don't know if you've ever done it, where at the end you all hold hands and you pray, you know, in like a circle. You know, no singing Kumbaya. I was not going to do Kumbaya, you know. But they were singing, and if you had something to pray, you would pray, and when you were done, you'd squeeze the hand of the person right next to you, Right. And I was the last guy, and I'm thinking, I've never done anything like this before. And around it comes. And as it's coming around, I feel the Spirit moving in my heart. When that prayer started, I was not a believer. And by the end, I was. I don't know what happened. I just know that the Holy One put the anointing of the Spirit on me, and I could see I couldn't see everything, but I could see clearly enough. You know, when I married Leah, I didn't know everything about her. still learning about her, but I knew it was right. And that's what this passage is saying, the spiritual test, that you know the truth, that the anointing that the Holy One has given you has opened your eyes so you can see the truth, that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So I ask you the question, have you been anointed? Has it come around the circle to you? And you've experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit. You know, for some people it's not, wow, unbelievable experience. I don't want you to feel like you have to have some sort of experience like I did. For some of you it's just coming to the knowledge of the truth. You know, I know the date when I married the but I can't really say the day that I fell in love with her. is in love with us has come and wooed us through himself. So has he anointed you? If so, can you see the truth? See, that's the test, isn't it? I don't see everything, but I know enough to know that this is right. If you have not received the anointment of Christ, how do we receive it? It's simple. Everyone who claims that Jesus is Lord of the world Of their life and trust in Him, receive the anointing. It's His gift to open our eyes to His love, to believe the truth that Jesus was nothing equals everything that we needed. So we have the relationship test with one another, we have the spiritual test with God, and finally we have the test of perseverance. 1 John 2, 23, No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father as well. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. See, the message that John is giving this church is don't look back. Don't look sideways. Look ahead. We're in the last hour. The truth that you have been told, let it abide in you. Let it percolate in you. Let it transform you until it's in your bones and in your body and in your mind and in your heart. It says, what you have heard from the beginning. But what have they heard? They've heard to love Him. The message of Christ is love for Him and for one another. They've heard that this is eternal life. They may know you the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so the anointing, as verse 27 says, that you have received abides in you, and you have no need that anyone else should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, it is true and is no lie, just as it is taught to you, abide in him. You know, when you become a Christian, you go to school. School is in session the Holy Spirit is in your heart. And He's showing you more and more who you are and who He is and who this world is. Are you taking advantage of sitting at the feet of the one who not only was in Jerusalem but is in your very heart and growing in wisdom knowledge and understanding? John is saying, don't let these other people distract you From the race I have for you to run. Go to the truth. That's how we resist false teaching, isn't it? When someone comes alongside you and speaks a whisper into your mind about this truth that you have, this anointing, we must go to the truth. We must look at the scriptures again and again. Is what you said true. We must go to God in our closet. We must ask the teacher. Much like John the Baptist, are you still the one? Jesus will always respond. To abide is to take up residence. To move in. To stay there. To never leave. You have a new home, my friends. You have a new inheritance. The Holy Spirit in you. But it is the last hour. The clock is ticking. And if you just hold on, the test of perseverance. We will see him face to face. And all that we've learned and hoped for the of Christ will be the reality. I don't know where you're at right now as you think of those tests. The test of relationships. The spiritual test. The test of perseverance. But here's how you know that you've passed. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Let that be your equation from now until it's come. We pray in Christ's name. Lord, guide us. You are all that we're looking for. You plus nothing that was Lord, help that equation to be in the deepness of our heart. Help us to pass the test and hold on until the very end. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.